this week, we're continuing our message entitled Forged in Fire. Forged in Fire. Okay, Forged in Fire. And so we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 2. Um, we're going to be going from there. So um, one day, after Moses had grown up, and we found out later that he was 40 years old. For one, so one day, after he had grown up. So if you think you're a grown-up and you're 25, you're not. It's not until you're 40, okay? One day, after Mo, I tell my kids that all the, all the time. You're not going to move out until you're 40 years old. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler or judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. It's always the fear of sin, isn't it? What I did must have, been, must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Ruel asked his, his daughters. Why did you leave him, invite him to have something to eat? Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to, Mo, to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gersham, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And Gersham means foreigner. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So he looked upon the Israelites. So God heard their groaning, and he remembered he looked on the Israelites, and he was concerned. He heard, he remembered, he looked, and he was concerned. God, we just thank you so much for this time to be here this morning. Father, I pray that you'll speak to us this morning. Open our eyes up to what you have for us, God, in your holy name, in your righteous name. God, work in us. God, I just pray that you will, you will hear us this morning, that you will remember your covenant with us, God. I pray that you will look to us and uh, you'll show us concern, God. We thank you. Amen. So, how does God prepare someone for leadership? How does God prepare a man for leadership? Um, do we have any leaders in the house this morning? Any leaders? One. Perfect. So this message will be perfect for all of you. Okay. Do we have any? How does God prepare a man for leadership is the question. How does he prepare a man 
for leadership. Um, I think that Moses is probably, arguably, one of the most influential leaders in the Bible. Uh, he led, pe- he led the, his people out of captivity. Um, through the power of God, he parted the Red Sea. He brought them the Ten Commandments. He was a man of faith. He was in constant connection with God. Moses was the man. Amen? Okay? So Moses was the man. And, and so you wonder, how does God prepare a man for leadership? How does God prepare a man to lead? How does he prepare him to be godly? How does he prepare him? You know, and I think sometimes uh, we, we kind of get lost in the, the societal titles where we think that men and women are meant to be the same. But in Scripture, we can see that there is a definite difference between men and women, and that God has called men to be men, amen? And God has called men to be leaders, and God has called men to be protectors, and God has called men to lead their homes. And so how does God prepare a man for leadership? Um, It's interesting because when you read this passage of Scripture, um, it it looks like God often prepares. I'm going to kind of give you the answer, okay? God often prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into our calling. Let me say that again. God often prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into our calling. God often uses our experiences uh, to mold us into our calling. I kind of wish it wasn't that way. I kind of wish there was an experience that was needed. I kind of wish I could just apply for the job and not have to show anyone my resume. You know, like you see the job that you want, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is like 500, this is like a million dollars a year. And, and, then, and then you look at the requirements, you're like, oh, I guess I don't qualify. I don't have an education. I don't know anything about neuroscience. I'm not a rocket scientist. I've never been to the moon I guess Elon Musk will have to hire someone else. You know, you're, you're, you're reading, you're like, I guess, I guess I don't qualify. But, but God often prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into our calling. It, it, it almost becomes like our resume, per se, uh, where he uses our experiences to mold us into our calling. Now, it's interesting because with Moses, he has three separate parts of his life that are divided evenly, three separate parts of his life. And each part, of, each part of his life is divided evenly by 40 years. Weird, huh? So Moses lives to be 120 years old. He dies at 120. How many of you would like to live to, to live to be 120? No, I wouldn't either. Uh, you would? Okay. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe you. So live to be 120. No. I always tell Aaron, take me when I'm 45. I want to be young. No. Okay. <laughs> That's actually not too far away now. That's bad. Never, I didn't say that. Okay. So, so 40 years. Three separate parts in his life for those 40 years, okay? Think about it. And it's weird because I think sometimes what we do is when we read the Bible, we assume that he was the amazing leader that he was without realizing that the part of his life where he was an amazing leader was actually only one-third of his life, okay? So for 40 years of his life, he was in Egypt. Um, For 40 years of his life, he was in Midian. And for 40 years of his life, he was serving as the deliverer of the people of Israel. Three separate times, 40 years in each. So for 40 years, he was in Egypt. Look to your neighbor and say, 40 years, he was in Egypt. For 40 years, he was in Midian. Look to your neighbor and say, 40 years in Midian. 
Todd, you're not saying it. Say it, Todd. <laughs> and for 40 years, he was a deliverer. I can see all of you, okay? For 40 years, he was a deliverer. So don't try to sneak, sneak one by me, Todd, okay? I see. You'll see what you're doing. Okay. 40 years, 40 years, for, and 40 years. God often prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into his calling. For 40 years, he was in Egypt. For 40 years, he was in Midian. For 40 years, he was the deliverer of the people of Israel. And specifically today, I kind of wanted to take a look at the 40 years he was in Egypt, okay? So, so uh, 40 years he was in Egypt. And then I wanted to take a brief look at the 40 years he was in Midian. And then, and, then, and then we'll just for a second look at the 40 years that he served as the deliverer of the people of Israel. And so when you think about Egypt, it was interesting the way that he came about. It was actually kind of miraculous. We talked about this uh, uh, last week about how um, the Pharaoh had issued a verdict that all the babies should be killed and his mother and his sister decided to let him go in an ark and they put him out in a basket and he went out into the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter found him and uh, he was able to be brought in to Pharaoh's palace, which is actually, when you think about it, awesome for someone who's going to be the uh, deliverer of the people of Israel, to have him be in a place of power. If you think about, I mean, it, it seems like this would be a perfect spot. He would, be, he, he would be highly trained in his schooling. He would have a lot of privilege. He would be advanced in his learning. He would be in the royal family. He'd be in the best schools. He'd have the best food. He'd have anything that his heart desired. In fact, I think it's in, in Hebrews, it says that he was a man of, who, was, who was powerful in speech and action. He was persuasive. I mean, it, when you think about him being in Egypt, this would actually seem like the perfect spot for him to be. Egypt was the superpower of the day. It seemed like if God had a calling on his life, this would be the perfect place for him to be. This would be the perfect place for him to be. In fact, I was reading, I was reading some, um, some commentators, and um, it's interesting because a lot of people believe that this pharaoh was King Ramses II. And if you look at history... If you actually read some of the, uh, some of the writings of Josephus, um, he states that Pharaoh didn't have any sons, just daughters. So hypothetically, once King Ramses II died, Moses could have been the second one in place, or the next one in place to take over the throne. So you think about it, on the outside, everything looks perfect. Seems like God is moving. Seems like God is working. He's in the exact right place at the exact right time. He supernaturally, like, like, like miraculously gets put into a place where he gets, gets put into fairies, fair, fairies, into fairy, Pharaoh's household. Like everything looks like it's working out perfectly. Perfectly. As soon as Pharaoh dies, he's the next one to become the Pharaoh. How easy is it for him to become for him to be the deliverer once he's Pharaoh. Boom, boom, boom. Bada boom, bada bing. Bada boom, bada bing. The Lord is just lining things up. Seems like it's perfect. Moses is educated. He can read. He can write. He's a genius. I don't know if he's a genius. He's, he's, a, he's a natural leader. Everything's working out perfectly for him to become the next Pharaoh. But one day. Look at the scripture back in verse 11. But one day. But one day he saw that his people were being abused. But one day he sees that 
a Hebrew is being beaten by an Egyptian. And I, I, I kind of wonder to myself, I, I kind of think that God um, innately knew that Moses, I, I, think, I think God put this in Moses. Like God, God put these, like he put everything in Moses that, that Moses needed to, to be to become a deliverer. You can kind of see it in his heart, even before the calling at the bush. You, 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 you see it like, like when the Egyptian is being mistreated, he comes to his rescue. When the women are being mistreated, he comes to their rescue. Like you can see that, that God had already kind of put those pieces in him. And we can see, we'll talk about next week how God pulled that out of him. But God had already put those desires in him to be a savior of types, to be a deliverer of types, to be a protector of types. You can see that in these verses where God had kind of, he put this in him, and when he, when he sees wrong, he acts, and he, he, he in his, in his, in his uh, passion for his people, he kills the Egyptian in verse 11, and he buries him in the sand. Um, and and so I think sometimes we think like when God calls us to, speaking of what God puts in us, sometimes when God calls us, we think that we think we think that He makes mistakes. You ever been there before? You felt like God's tapping on your shoulder, and you're like, "Yeah, that's that's not me." You feel like God's tapping on your shoulder, maybe to to start something or do something, or or maybe even bless someone, or, or and it's like, "Yeah, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's in me, or if God has called me to do that," but. I guess I'd kind of like to encourage you today that, that if God has called you to something, that he will equip you in that something. If God has led you to something, even if you feel like you aren't adequate or good enough, he will, he will, he will lead you and he will equip you so that you can do that in the future. And so even if there's mistakes along the way, even if you have some Egyptians buried in the sand, I know I have some Egyptians buried in the sand. Even if you have some Egyptians buried in the sand, God can use your story to bring about glory to his name. You know, but you see, you see here that Moses uh, looks to the left, he looks to the right, and he, he kills the Egyptian, and he buries him in the sand. Now, what's interesting is if we go over to Acts chapter 7, it gives a little bit different idea of what maybe Moses was thinking. Acts chapter 7, verses 23 and through 25, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Look at verse 25. This is interesting. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue rescue them, but they did not. He thought that his act of valor would win the approval of the Hebrews, but it didn't. Instead, what happened was the word spread and everyone talked and Pharaoh heard about it. And Pharaoh heard about it and, 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 and Moses fled. He fled. Again, I feel like he was in the perfect place at the perfect time to do the task. He had everything that he needed to accomplish what was needed, 
but he didn't. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years of having the best things, 40 years of, 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 of school. I, I, you, I, I feel like Egypt would have been the perfect place for a deliverer to be brought out of. Egypt was a superpower. He was potentially the second person in line to the throne. Everything was set up perfectly for him. But one day, you see that after he killed the Egyptian, he fled to Midian. And it's interesting because the contrast between Egypt and Midian is very vast. Midian was a few hundred miles east of Egypt. It was in the desert wasteland. Midian was actually first mentioned, I don't know if you know about this, but Midian was one of the sons of Abraham. So uh, we think of Isaac and Jacob, but, 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 but Midian was one of the sons of Abraham by his wife Keturah. He actually had six sons with Keturah. You can see this in Genesis chapter 25. And this one son went off and settled and started this land of Midian. We can see Midian, the Midianites uh, further along in the Old Testament were enemies of Israel, but, but in this portion of Scripture, at least now, it looks like they, they were not their enemies. Um, the Mid, it talks about the Midianites when Joseph was thrown in the pit, said some Midianites came and sold him into Egypt. Isn't that interesting? So they sold him into Egypt, and now Moses is coming out, and he's spending time in with the Midianites when he comes out of Egypt. So Joseph goes into Egypt because of the Midianites, and now Moses comes out, and he's in Midian um, because of the Midianites. Um, if you look at Scripture, we can see that the Egyptians, most of the Midianites were shepherds, and, the, and, and most of the Egyptians despised shepherds. If you, can, if you can imagine, here is Moses, and in one moment of Scripture, he has everything. He's in the palace. He uh, has royalty, he has food, he has anything his heart's desire, he has power, he has influence. And then in the next minute, he's a fugitive on the run that's living with people that are considered detestable. Isn't that kind of wild? Like, like when you read that, it's like, oh my gosh, so, 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 so why would, it's crazy when you think about him having everything and then him being torn down to having nothing him having everything that his heart desired, and then him having absolutely nothing. It's like almost you can see the deconstruction of Moses. Like there was a moment where it looks like everything was taken away. And I can imagine Moses thinking that God's calling on his life had vanished. I may be thinking that he was thinking that God had forgotten about him, that God had left him. Like God literally took him from a place of power to a place of humility, he took him to, from a place of prestige to a place of nothingness. He had everything, and then everything was removed. Um, and and it, 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 I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been at that spot in your life where you feel like God has taken everything from you. You feel like you had everything. You felt like everything was going the way that you thought it should go, and then the Lord took it from you. And then, and then he, he, God puts him in a place where it's wilderness and it's wasteland. There's nothing there. There's just some shepherds and some ladies running around. And that's it. So you do what you figure you should do. You marry one of them and you have a kid. And that's about it. And then you find yourself in the desert chasing sheep 
for the next 40 years, doing nothing for the next 40 years, just having some kids. You have a kid, you're like, I'm a foreigner, so I'm going to name this kid foreigner. How does that sound? Isn't my life exciting? There you are in the desert with some ladies and some shepherds for 40 years. You're like, wow, not long ago, I was hanging with the Pharaoh. We were doing our stuff. I had all the power, had all the prestige. I had everything I needed. I know God has a call in my life, but now here I am. I guess I blew that. So now I am out in the desert doing nothing with shepherds and women, chasing the shepherds away, chasing after the women. I guess that's what I'm going to do for the next 40 years. And you read through the text, and the next 40 years is only a couple verses. And you're sitting there thinking, what in the world is happening here? Like, why would God, he has this plan for Israel. He has this plan for Moses. And yet Moses is just sitting in one spot for 40 years, a couple verses, doing nothing other than sheep and chasing women around. Like, that's all he's doing for the next 40 years. You wonder, why is this happening? Why would God send him into the desert? Why would God send him here to do nothing for the next 40 years? I can kind of understand the Egyptian thing. That's cool, learning all the things, everything else. But why would he send him to the desert for the next 40 years? What's so interesting about the Bible, what's so interesting about the Scripture, is that Moses was not the only person that had desert experiences. You thought about it? The Apostle Paul, after he was transformed by the power of God, it says that he went out to, you can read, it, you can read about this in Galatians chapter 3, I think it is. It says that he actually went out to Arabia and waited in the desert for three years. David, King David, he was, he was supposed to be the next king. God had anointed him. King, uh, uh, the prophet Samuel had come and anointed him as king. He goes, he defeats Goliath. Um, people start cheering for him, and he, he's excited. He thinks he's going to be the next king of Israel, and then King Saul gets upset. And for the next 14 years, it says that David ran in the wilderness from Saul for 14 years. The Apostle Paul for three years in Arabia. King David, 14 years. You look at Elijah. He goes and he defeats the prophets of Baal. He destroys all these prophets. He slaughters them on Mount Carmel. And then he, then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs out to the desert until he hears from the Lord. You look at Jesus. Jesus, when uh, he came and he was, going to be, he was going to start his earthly ministry, he came and he went out of the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days and for 40 nights. I would argue that strong leaders, strong men in the Bible, most of them have had desert experiences, have had Midian experiences. Now, you kind of have to read into the text a little bit, but I would actually say that maybe Egypt and Midian is what prepared Moses for the next 40 years of his life. Egypt and Midian prepared him for the next 40 years of his life. If you, if, if you look a little bit closer, you can see that it was in the desert, it was in Midian, that Moses found a mentor in his father-in-law, Raoul. 
Um, some people think Raul was his last name. Some people think Raul was his nickname. We can see elsewhere that his name was Jethro, but we can see here when we're reading in the text that he's described as a priest of Midian. He was a, a priest of God. In fact, Raul means friend of God, and Jethro means overflow. So it was like an overflow, a friend of God in his place in, uh, of Midian, in his place of despair. And I don't know if you guys know, but when you're going through a dry and desolate spot, it's good to have some friends of God. It's good to have some people who are overflowing in your life and who are speaking life into you when you're going through your Midian experience, when you're going through your desert experience. So in Midian, God gave him a mentor in, Jeth- a ment- a mentor in Jethro, Jethro uh, Reul. Um, in Midian, it was where God gave him a family um, there are certain things that a man cannot learn without being a father. I hate to say that, but I, I learned many things when I became a dad. And I think all the dads in the room can say, all the dads in the room can say, amen. All right, so, so there's many things that you learn when you become a father. And God gave him a family, and he gave him a wife, and he gave him a son, and he gave him wisdom, and he gave him uh, uh, lessons. Uh, it, but, and I, I, think, I think in order for Moses to be completely filled with God, he had to be completely emptied of himself. Midian gave him a mentor. It gave him a family. And Midian taught him patience. Taught him patience. You know, God lives outside of the time-space continuum. He gave him time. He gave him 40 years of prep, or 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. Be patient, and God will be faithful. If you are patient, God will be faithful. God is able to make your failures valuable. He's able to sanctify us in times of seclusion. God often uses our experiences as a place of preparation and a place of revelation. God works out everything in his time. He thought that his moment was in Egypt for him to be the deliverer, but God had another place, another time, another way that he wanted to bring about his power. He wanted to take things into his own hands. We see people do this a lot in Scripture. We saw Jacob do it when he thought, when he thought that he, he was the, 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 the rightful owner of the birthright and he deceived his father. We see uh, Peter do this when he cut off the, the ear of the soldier, uh, Malcolmus. We, we see he wanted to take things in his own time, but God works things out in his time. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. I want to cross that out in the Bible. I want to just cross it out, erase it, rip it out, and I want to put a a day with the Lord is like a day. But a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God works everything out in his timing. In his timing. Sometimes I think experience is the best teacher. Do you agree? Disagree? I mean, you can, you can learn about something, but until you experience something, you can tell me that there are people oppressed in Egypt. Eh, whatever. If I don't see it, I don't care. 
but until you experience their oppression. I had a, a buddy who um, planted a church in East St. Louis. He was wild. He was a product of teen challenge, life challenge. Uh, he was a drug addict that God got a hold of and transformed by the power of his spirit. And um, he invited me and uh, our pastor when we lived in St. Louis, to, or Granite City, to go and visit him. And uh, he just showed us the, the ministry that they were doing there, and it was wild. Um, you know, we, the, 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 the small town that we were in was a typical town in the Bible Belt. There were three Assemblies of God churches within less than a mile of each other, and we were all on the same road. So, but we were in the middle. Our church was in the middle, so we were the best. So um, we were on the same road. So it was like, I forget, there was one Glen something, ours, and then City Temple. Uh, and um, so anyways, it was the town that we were in where it was very uh, churchy, very Bible Beltish. And so we'd go in and, and everyone would wear their suits and ties and, the, their, and, and they had the seasoned saints and they had, all, you know, and it was very traditional. It, it like you walk in and it just, it almost felt like you were stepping into a time camp capsule until like 1985. It was, they had like the, the special carpeting and, um, but it was super awesome people. We loved them. It was great serving there. But, but I'm trying to, like, set the contrast. So, so that's what I was used to. And so I was used to that type of experience where uh, parents would come in. And even, even, even during our youth group, I remember um, our first uh, day serving as their youth pastors, I walked in, and all the kids had their Bibles, and all of them were taking notes. And I'm like, what is happening? Because we came from another place where the kids were running around and beating each other up and tackling each other on the bus. And so I get there, and I'm like, what in the world? These kids, like, wanting to learn and praying and worshiping. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is awesome. Praise the Lord. So that was, that's what I was in. And there was this guy from Teen Challenge who had been transformed by the power of God who was out in East St. Louis, the murder capital of the world, out in, out in East St. Louis, um, witnessing to people. And I remember we went and visited him. Me and, me and our pastor went and visited him. And he said, um, this is the building. He said, um, my goal is, my dream is to buy the entire block. And um, at that time, a bunch of the buildings were burned, and he'd renovated one. And um, we went out with him, and he would just go on the street corners with hamburgers and French fries and drinks. And he'd go out on the street corners, and he'd be giving people food and praying for them and witnessing to them and sharing the love of God with them. And uh, it was eye-opening because for me, the way that I had saw ministry was, oh, you know, coming in on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday, and the kids with their Bibles ready to learn. And it was eye-opening to me to see the type of ministry that was happening out there where there, there were people that were sitting on the street corners who, like, they were sleeping in, like, their own filth. They didn't have any food. They were, they were, he, we visited a house that looked like it was condemned. There was like, uh, there was like stuff on the windows and on the doors. And um, he's like, yeah, this is where, this is where the crack dealer lives. And these are his, these ladies out here, these are his prostitutes. And, um, and him, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a white kid from Minnesota. So I'm like, no, you know, and he's, he's walking up and this guy has, he looks like he was straight out of like a, I don't know, yeah, like a blonde mullet, and he was just like, walking right up. I'm like, dude, you're insane, and I thought he was going to get shot, and, um, but here he is. He's doing ministry, and I say that to say, man, it opened my eyes to the things that were happening in East St. Louis, 
It opened my eyes to the needs and the things that were, like the people that were hurting down there. It opened my eyes to uh, the type of ministry that was happening down there. It opened my eyes to the hurt. It opened my eyes to what someone looks like when they're strung out on drugs. It opened my eyes to these ladies who were just like in this abandoned home um, that, that they were, I don't even know how they had their electricity hooked up. It just opened my eyes to that. You know, I've always wanted to take a jet ski on the ocean, right? I've always thought that'd be awesome to take a jet ski and just go over the waves and have a good time and whatever. I think that'd be amazing. Just try to crack the hull of the jet ski and just have a great time. And, and I will say that there's nothing, like I can read about it as much as I want. I can talk about it as much as I want. I can uh, dream about it as much as I want. But until I experience what it's like to break the hull of a jet ski uh, on the ocean, um, I will never truly understand the joy of taking a jet ski on the ocean. I can talk about how wonderful it is to reach people for the love of Christ. I can talk about how excited I am to reach people for the love of Christ. I can share all the Bible verses that I can think of. But until I actually get out there, and there are some things where experience is our best teacher. And I think when God put Moses in Egypt, he said, I want you to experience this hardship. I want you to experience this turmoil. I want you to experience this pain. I want you to experience all these things that are happening so that you have a heart for these people. Amen? And so I say all that to say that God uses our experiences. God often prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into his calling. The worship team can come back up. God often uses our experiences. He prepares us by using our experiences to mold us into our calling. How does God prepare a man for leadership? He uses our experiences to mold us into our calling. He uses our experiences to mold us into our calling. Some of you here this morning might feel as if you are in Egypt. You're thriving. You're having prosperity. You're enjoying your life. You're enjoying your time. For some of you this morning, your eyes need to be opened to those that are hurting around you. For some of you this morning, it's going to take more than just, than just talking about it. It's going to take experiencing it. I think God this morning says, I want to turn you into a leader. I want to turn you into a man of God. I want you to turn you into the person that I know you're destined to be. For some of you here this morning, you might be in that median experience. You might feel as if uh, you're in the desert you might feel like all you're doing is chasing sheep and nothing much is happening I think God this morning is telling you that if you don't you need to find a mentor you need to find someone that can lead you find someone that can guide you you need to be patient 
because with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And everything will happen in his time, by his will, through his power, to give him glory. He wants to use those who say,